And uh, the idea of Jesus saying in John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So this whole week we looked at the life of Jesus. We started on Monday, kind of celebrated Christmas a little bit, but started on Monday with the birth of Jesus. And then through our worship services and our Bible studies and our quiet times, we walked through the life of Jesus until we got to Friday when we celebrated the resurrection. Um, That's what we did over the course of the entire week. So this morning, we're going to look in the gospel of Mark um, at what Jesus, really what he said. One of the things Jesus taught a lot and he taught on a lot of different topics, but Jesus really had one message. Throughout Jesus' life, he healed, he preached, he, he did miracles, he um, did so many things, but he came proclaiming a message that um, often maybe we must remember, and we've got to realize Jesus came proclaiming, repent, and believe the gospel. We must realize this morning that when Jesus calls, we always have a response. You say, what do you mean? If Jesus calls you to follow him and you do not, that's a response. If Jesus calls you to follow him and you do, that's a response. If there's something in your life that you are not giving over to the Lord and you feel like God is calling you to do so, but you have a hard time doing it, that is a response. When God calls you, you always have a response. We can't pick and choose and go through what Jesus says, like, like we can't pick and choose what we like and what we don't like. We must realize that when Jesus calls us to do something, we have a response to him. So we've got two truths this morning as we jump into Mark chapter 1. The first one is this. Jesus had one message. Jesus came proclaiming one message. From the very start, Jesus doesn't hold anything back. He walks into Mark 1. In the first part of his ministry, he says, repent and believe the gospel. In other words, you need to believe what I'm telling you is true and you need to turn from your bad ways. That's what Jesus is saying. We don't really do that when we first meet somebody, right? When we meet someone for the first time, we don't walk up to them and say, hey, you're a pretty bad person, change. No, we're not going to make friends very quickly that way, are we? No, when we first meet someone, what do we do? We try to get to know them. We, we try to share something in common with them. We try to find a common denominator. We talk about how we like being around them, and then we try to be their friend. Jesus just came walking up and said, look, i got to tell you something. You need to repent and believe the gospel. Jesus' message is that clear. It's not optional. He said, believe the gospel, and then you must repent. Let me say this. Believing the gospel leads you to turn from the sin that you're committing and follow Jesus. What is the gospel? The gospel is this, the good news, the very best news that mankind could actually ever hear. The gospel, the term gospel, literally means good news, and in it it contains forgiveness, restoration, and new life in Christ. You've got to realize our sin, your sin and my sin, the bad things that we've done against God caused there to be a broken relationship between God and between us. There was no way we could ever fix that, but God came and invaded history. Jesus himself wrapped in human cloth, though he was, though he was God uh, in the flesh, he came to take our sin and our punishment that our sin had caused. Jesus came to earth and did that. Let me ask you a question. Who sinned, God or us? Okay, who sinned, God or us? us. Who fixed it, God or us? God, see, that's the gospel. The good news is, is that you don't have to get to, to fix your problems before you come to God. No, you come to Jesus in faith, and then he begins to fix you. We sin, but then God 
made it right. This gives us a clear picture of God's character. You sinned against him, yet instead of holding that against you and me forever, he came and displayed his love by dying for us in our place so that then we can know God. That's that we, we never are able to act that way. When somebody does us wrong, we might find it in our heart to forgive them. But sometimes if the bad or the hurt or the wrong is bad enough, it's hard to forgive somebody. We infinitely sinned against God, yet he chose to give himself for us. When we believe in that gospel, it compels you to turn from those things which Jesus died for and follow him. In other words, you repent. The term repent actually means turn from what you're doing and do something else. Stop what you're doing and do another thing. Go in the opposite direction of that with which you are going. Jesus uh, would say this first because much of what we do goes directly against God's character. Jesus doesn't just say, hey, stop what you're doing because it's kind of bad and I don't like that. No, he says, stop what you're doing because that has put separation between God and you and it needs to be fixed. Listen, when we grasp the truth of the gospel that Jesus was punished instead of you for all the wrong things that you and I have ever done, you can't go on living the same. When we get that, when we understand that we cannot go on being the same, you say, I believe Jesus bled and died for my lying, but you know, I just don't think lying's a big deal. You can't feel that way and say, yeah, I believe Jesus died for my sin, but I'm gonna go on in it like it's not a problem. If you say, uh, hey, I, I believe Jesus bled and died for my lust, but I'm not going to do anything to fix that, then you don't really believe that Jesus died for those things. You can't say, hey, I, I believe Jesus bled and died for my gossip, and, I, and I, I confess that, but you know what? Like, I just don't think it's a big deal. No, we can't do those things. You, you don't say, I believe Jesus bled and died for my pride and arrogance, but I'm going to go on acting as if I'm the only person in this world that matters. Listen to me. When you're confronted with the gospel message, the only appropriate response is repentance and faith. When we grasp that Jesus died for us, for those wrong things we have done, when we get that and we realize, wow, Jesus died for the things, the nasty, the heinous, the bad things that I have done. Jesus died for those things? When it was supposed to be me, when it was supposed to be my punishment, he took it? How do we then keep going in the same direction. And you say, Adrian, you know, like, I, I know I'm a Christian, but I, I feel like, you know, I struggle at times. That doesn't mean the struggle is over. But we can't come to faith and we can't profess faith in Jesus and then just go on acting as if sin is no big deal. Jesus died for those things. Jesus gave his life for those things. He came to earth to die for those things. And we cannot then, if God would give his only son, treat them as though they are just minuscule things. No, those things were bad. And a holy God sent all of his wrath onto his son so that you wouldn't have to feel it. So that I wouldn't have to feel it. You see, true repentance comes not only from being sorry for the consequences of sin, but the actual hatred of sin itself. Anybody ever felt sorry for something? Anybody? Okay, maybe just a few of us. We felt sorry for some stuff. Um, <clears throat> many times, you know, you do something and you actually aren't sorry for what you've done. You're just sorry that you got caught, right? Um, I remember a, a time uh, whenever my, my cousin and I, um, his parents were actually in the service. Uh, and, and right back there, I'll just wave at you. Uh, my cousin and I, I was thinking about whether I should, so I just did. Uh, um, and and we, we, were, um, we, were, we went to another church at the time. And we decided one day, it was just blazing hot in the summertime, we, we were, were burning up. All of our people who knew we had a, that, that had a pool, they didn't, 
they wouldn't let us come over, and I can understand why, you know, but like they, uh, they, they, we had to find something to do, right? 18 years old, off of work, been working all day, had to find something to do. So we decided that what we were going to do was set up a slip and slide, and the yard not just our yard, the yard of the church, you know, that we were attending. And it had a really cool concept, though, because the slip and slide was about, you know, 20 feet long, and there was a door that we set it up so we could get, like, a 20-foot running head start and just slide through that thing. You know, some of y'all were like, I want to do that today. And I felt that way that day until afterward. Uh, But what happened is we did that, right? We did that for I don't know how long. Set up water hose, man, and we just, two 18-year-old dudes out there on a slip and slide, you know? So however cool or not that is. But we did that for, like, for, like, for a while, and didn't think anything about it. Like, it just took slip slide up and put it inside. Didn't think anything about it until the next day. He got a call. Uh, and my mom came to me and said, Aiden, you ain't thinking about a, a slip and slide in the church yard? And I was like, sure, don't. Uh, no, I, 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 said, uh, I, said, I said, yeah, yeah, you know, we went and did it yesterday. She's like, would well, you realize that you tore that yard up? And I was like, no, surely not. We went and looked at it, and it was pretty bad. Uh, and, and the thing was, when I got in trouble for that, which, which I did, um, I'll be honest with you. I never felt sorry for doing it. I just felt sorry that I had consequences after that. Uh, many times we, we, that, that happens to us. You know, if a, you're a teenager and you come home after your curfew, um, but you were having a really good time, but you come home after your curfew and your parents are sitting there waiting on you, you don't feel sorry for what you were just doing. You feel sorry that you got caught, right? Or if, if your uh, wife uh, finds out that you've been sneaking to Bojangles when you're supposed to be on a diet and she, really, she finds out that, that you've been sneaking there and using the debit card and she sees that on there, you don't feel sorry uh, for the chicken biscuit. You just feel sorry that you got caught, right? That, that happens. Maybe you lie to your boss and you feel sorry that you got caught, but you don't feel sorry for the lie that you told. Or uh, you started a rumor about somebody and it got back around to you and, and it doesn't bother you that that rumor maybe destroyed their reputation. It just bothers you that you were the one who got caught doing it. But you see, true repentance comes not only from being sorry for the consequences of the sin, but when we actually look and say, wow, gosh, that sin is so bad that it would send Jesus to a cross. How can I keep doing it? How can I keep going on in this, uh, in, in, in this lifestyle that I'm living as if Jesus didn't do anything about it. If you're a follower of Christ, his command to you is not optional. He doesn't come say, hey, I hope you repent. No, he says, believe the gospel and repent. If you believe Jesus to be who he says he is, you do what he says. And the appropriate response to Jesus is believe the gospel and repent. Let me ask you this question. Could it be that some of you see Jesus and his commands as optional? That there's what Jesus says, it's like a wise saying. So I see it and it's, it's something that I would like to do one day, but I'm just not there yet. Could your lack of repentance in something be that you don't take Jesus very seriously? Maybe you think that he was just playing around when he said some of the things he said. He's not. We must take Jesus and what he said very seriously. Let me ask you this. Do you believe what I'm saying about Jesus? Or more importantly, do you believe what Jesus says about himself? Because if we believe that he is God in the flesh and he said repent and believe the gospel, that is not optional. But when we do that, when we trust Christ for the first time or when we turn over sin and pursue uh, Jesus, what do we then do? Our second truth this morning is this. Jesus had one method. One method. What was his method? Let's look at Mark 1, 16 through 20 and see how Jesus then 
proclaims the gospel and to repent to the rest of the world. When Jesus calls his first disciples, he's walking by the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee, he sees Simon, who is also Peter. He sees Simon Peter. Uh, He sees Andrew, and he sees James and John. We have two sets of fishermen that he uh, sees. Both experienced Jesus' call, and it says that they both responded the same way. They followed him immediately. The historian Josephus, he's a Jewish historian, he uh, said that there were over uh, 330 boats, likely, every day in the Sea of Galilee. Just to put it in perspective, the Sea of Galilee, I've, I've had the opportunity to be there, is not some massive ocean. It's more like a, a large lake. 330 boats where people fished every single day. And we can't lose the concept that Jesus would have just walked up to these four and said, follow me. No, chances are Jesus walked by people and said, follow me, and they kept on doing what they were doing for various reasons. Maybe they were too busy. And they said, man, I would like to follow this guy because he seems pretty cool, but I'm just a little bit busy right now and I don't have time for it. Or maybe they were afraid. They were afraid if I follow this guy, what's he going to do? I don't know that I can trust him. Or maybe they didn't want to be associated with this guy who is maybe beginning to cause a stir. There are a lot of different possibilities for why those others didn't follow Jesus. And you know what? We don't know why because we don't know their names. But guess whose names we do know? The names of Simon, Andrew, James, and John. Let me ask you a question this morning. Is there something that's keeping you from wholeheartedly pursuing Jesus? You're in here this morning, you're a follower of Christ, but something is keeping you from pursuing him. Maybe you have deceived yourself into thinking that whatever it is, is not a big deal. Maybe it's something that you're unwilling to lay aside. But what is keeping you from wholeheartedly pursuing the God of the universe who gave his life for you? Are you too busy? Do you think one day I'll finally get to the point where I'm going to pursue him? The camp pastor this week had a great statement. The right response is always, he said something like this, I'm going to mess it up. But the right response is always right now. Is there something that's, that's keeping you from following Jesus? Are you afraid of what it may cost you? You're afraid that, man, if I start pursuing Christ wholeheartedly, I'm going to lose out on something that I want. Are you scared that God's plans won't fit in with yours? Instead of saying, God, I want to give you my plans and you make them into whatever you want. Simon and Peter, James and John, they had lives that had purpose. They lived with peace they had hope all because they decided to put down what they were doing and follow Jesus even even when not a lot of other people were it says in in verse 16 through 18 it says they immediately followed they immediately left their nets and began to follow Jesus you got to realize these guys were fishermen for a living this wasn't just a hobby. These, this was important to them, and it was something that was familiar to them, but they were leaving their, their comfort zone. They were going into the unknown to follow some guy who promised to change them. We know that James and John most likely had a wealthy dad because um, he had hired servants. The only way to have hired servants is if you had a pretty good business. They were leaving their father and following this guy who just said, hey, come and follow me. And you know what? Leaving this man Jesus was more compelling than staying in the boat with their dad. 
And I'll say this, sometimes I believe we are afraid of what Jesus may ask or call us to do. So we just kind of stay in this safe place rather than go out and live a life of adventure and purpose that Jesus may have for us. Think about how difficult this would be. God comes and asks you to follow him and you leave everything familiar to you to go with him, hoping that what he says is true. Maybe that's where some of you are this morning. You've never really fully given your life to Christ. You, 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 you know that he died on the cross for your sins and, and you are now what we would call a child of God. You're saved, but there is part of your life that you just don't want to hand over to God because you're either afraid he won't come through, you're afraid it won't be worth it, or you're afraid that he's going to take you in a place that you don't want to go. But listen to me. When Jesus calls you, he is calling you into a life of wholeheartedly following him. That's the life he's calling you into. The way that your life can have purpose, the only way that you can fulfill being who God has created you to be is to wholeheartedly pursue Jesus. And look at what he's promised to do. Here's the method. Here's the method that he uses. He promises to make you a vital part of his kingdom. You see, I think sometimes we lose sight and we think when Jesus saves us, that's it. No, no, no. When Jesus saves you, he is calling you into being one who then is a part of he using you to save others. We had the opportunity to see that this week, and it's so cool when we go down there and students are saying, yeah, I talked to, to this leader, I talked to this student, I talked to another leader, and they just, they're helping me in knowing what I need to do or helping me give my life to Christ. And God is using those people in that moment to proclaim the world's greatest message. And you see, if you want a life that has lasting impact, this is the way you do it. See, we all want lives that matter. Every one of us sitting in this room, we want a life that matters. We love the idea of thinking that our life will make a difference and our life matters. In recent studies, millennials, those who uh, were born between 1980 and 2000, were asked if they had the choice, would they choose a job making $100,000 a year where they were simply a small part of a huge machine? They were a small part of a huge corporation where their voice didn't really get heard, but they were making good money, or if they could make half of that, but actually have a lasting impact where their job made a difference and the vast majority chose the latter. Why is that the case? Because we have this innate desire to make an impact on the world. We post to social media hoping our voice will make a difference. We want our jobs to have purpose. We want our lives to be full of significance. And the only way that you can get that fully is when you commit your life to following Jesus. The, the, there is no greater impact than you can have than to shape someone's eternity. We've got to understand this. There are things in this world that we sometimes put our hope in and we think they'll make a difference that ultimately don't. Ed, how much education you get, though it's good, will not make an eternal difference. How much money you make will not make an eternal difference just in your life. Politics won't make an eternal difference. The only person who has the authority and the power to change someone's eternity is Jesus. We must remember that. When he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men, he plans to transform them in a way to begin using them in a way that they never thought they would be used. And that's, a, that's, a, that's an amazing feeling when you live a life and you say, man, I never thought that God would begin using me like he is now using me. Because then you're living a life full of purpose and full of significance and full of ultimate value. Jesus doesn't say to follow him so you can stay the same. He tells you to follow him so he can radically change you for the better. 
See, some of you may be sitting in this room and you've been told and there's nothing you'll ever be able to do. You've never had someone who believes in you. You, you. you have always been told that you'll never amount to anything. Realize this, that when God created you before you were ever even a thought, he created you for a specific purpose. And that specific purpose, one, it may be a family, you may have a job, but that ultimate specific purpose is for you to come to faith in Jesus and then your life then affects other people's for eternity. Think about this for a second. Would you love to be a part of something so great that it would change your family, that it would change your school, that it would change your job, that it could change your state, or it could change the world? This is it. This is it. Do you want to make a dent or mark in this world that will have an eternal impact? This is how you do it. You follow Christ and then allow him to use you to make a lasting, eternal impact. You see, Jesus believes in ordinary men and women. He doesn't look and say, hey, because you got really good grades in school, students, I, I, I can use you. He doesn't say that. Or, hey, because you have a really good job making a lot of money or you're very smart, you have good education. Hey, I want you to come be on my team. No, he's willing to use anybody who is willing to follow him. See, we've got to realize this. The impact that you and I have hinges on your response to Jesus. The impact that you and I will have hinges on your response to Jesus. And I'll say this, some of you may be sitting in this room and you're a follower of Christ and you've been so for a long time, but you are unwilling to step outside of a comfort zone that God is calling you to, to, to step out of and the impact you're making may be good, but it could be so much greater if you were willing to give over that fear to follow Jesus. God is calling us to make an eternal impact. And you know what's so great about following Jesus is you can follow him and make an impact no matter the career path you take, the country you live in, or how much education you have. You can make an eternal impact by simply saying, Jesus, do with me what you wish. Like Isaiah said, here I am in Isaiah 6, here I am, Lord, send me. God, do what you like with my life. God has placed you exactly where he wants you to be. You say, Adrian, you know, I, I thought, how, how, how can I make an impact in in my job, what, what, what do I do? You, we realize that God has given you talents. God has given you gifts. God has given you dreams. God has given you the ability to do whatever it is you're doing. No matter what job that you are in, God has placed you there and given you those abilities, not simply for you to do that job and go home, not simply for you to, to, to provide for your family. He's put you in that place and given you those talents and abilities so you can then build his kingdom. You see, if, if, if you want to go into whatever you want to go into, you're sitting here this morning and, and you, 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 you have a job, maybe you're, uh, you're, you're in business, maybe you love music, you're in the medical field, whatever those things are, whatever, however God has gifted you, you should, you should leverage those gifts that God's given you, but you do so by being fishers of men and women. You see, following Jesus means bringing people along with you to follow him. Following Jesus isn't just a one-stop, hey, I got saved, I'm done. No, following Jesus means bringing people along with you to follow him. Let me ask you this question this morning. Will you choose to lay aside whatever it is that's keeping you from passionately pursuing Jesus? Whatever that is, whatever I, I hope the Holy Spirit brings to your mind, will you lay that aside, embrace more of the gospel, and then be an ambassador for the world's greatest message? Can you do that this morning? Jesus would say, repent and believe the gospel so that then he can make you into the person who 
He sees that you're going to be, not who sees who you are right now. Jesus said, repent and believe the gospel. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your love for us. Jesus, thank you for giving us hope, purpose, meaning, value, significance. Jesus, when you would give your life for lowly sinners, it means you look at us and say, I see who I want you to become. God, this morning as Holy Spirit, I I pray that you have called out sins, hurts, things we need to let go of, things we need to lay aside so that we can passionately pursue you. I pray that you and hope that you've done just that. God, whatever the response that the people in this room need to have to you this morning, I pray, Lord, they would have it in Jesus' name.